You're listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. The Hero of the Story helps you study and teach the story of redemption from all Scripture. Now join your hosts, Aaron Armstrong and Brian Dembozik. Hey there, welcome to The Hero of the Story podcast. I'm Aaron, the brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me is my co-host, Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. Brian, uh, how are you doing? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm okay. You know, um, we, you know we, we're getting into our rhythm, hopefully, on, on this new podcast that we're doing. We did, we've done one episode so far. I think we're going to at least do two more. And that will get us a rhythm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we are talking about a really important question, one that um, honestly can has been a little bit controversial. Over, it, can, yeah, it can be at times. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But it's, a, it's an exciting and important question. This question that we're asking is, does all scripture really point to Jesus? So today what we want to do is simple. We want to outline the case for... Um, and this is our big fancy technical word for the day. It, we want to outline the case for Christ-centered her- hermeneutics. And so hermeneutic really just means um, your method of interpretation. Yeah. It's um, what are the rules that you are following in order to um, properly understand and apply the scriptures. Yes. Okay. So, um, so Brian... This this is a controversial subject, as I, as I just mentioned, because um, some people can some people can assume that it means things that it doesn't. Yeah. So, how about we talk about what it doesn't mean before yeah, we get started? I, I agree with you, and I think um, it can be controversial by some people. I think also more broadly, I think it's just an unclear issue. A lot of people. When they rub shoulders with this for the first time, this this thinking, this this term, even um, it's a little bit different from maybe what they've learned before, and so their natural tendency, I think, as humans, our natural tendency is when we encounter something that may seem to go against what we've believed to this point, our mm-hmm. our natural tendency is to push back on it some, and and some of that pushback is not with an an ill attitude. It's simply because, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. And, and we have to applaud that. We have to applaud anyone who pushes back on what they perceive as a challenge to God's word. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got we to gotta reach out a hand and shake their hand in that regard and saying, thank you for caring enough about Scripture to test what you're hearing about it. So I think that's part of the problem. Another part of the problem is I think people wrongly understand Christ-centered hermeneutic, which is why your question, we need to start there. What does it not mean? So I think we have to remove some of those misconceptions about it. For example, um, one misconception is some people think that a Christ-centered hermeneutic means that you preach only Jesus from every session, or every passage, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, that only, that's the, that's the key word there, that, that when you study Scripture, when you teach or preach, or when you try to apply it for your own life, that you only find Jesus in it. That is not what a Christ-centered hermeneutic means. It's Christ-centered. It's not Christ-exclusive. Correct. So that is not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about seeing types, um, biblical types, in every single passage in Scripture. Mm-hmm. We know they're there. We, we know of a handful of types that I think everybody would agree on. And then there's a little bit of gray area about many others. But I don't think anybody would really argue that t- 
pipes run through every passage. Right. Now, before we go any further, um, you, you've just used a, um, an important term here. Yeah. So um, for, for folks who may not be familiar with it, um, this, this term types, what we're talking about there is, um, you know, sometimes you, you hear it, um, you, you, there's a, a larger word, typology. Yeah. So basically what this is, is where are there overt um, hints or foreshadows of Christ? In, in the okay. text. And Usually so, defined as objects or people or events. Correct. Usually they're put in buckets like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Brian's point there is really, is really, really important because um, there, there can be a tendency to, to caricaturize um, a Christ-centered hermeneutic as seeing, um, seeing, as looking at this, this, um, any particular um, object in scripture. So let's say, let's say, oh, that there's this, there's this thing on the ground and it's, it's big and it's heavy and it's solid and you can't move, you have to push it and you can sit on it and you can, you can break it with tools. It must be Jesus. No, it's a rock. Yeah. But, um, uh, that's how the that's how the how the stereotyping can sometimes go, yeah. and we want to be really sensitive to that. That that is not what no. it means to preach Christ from every text. Yeah, and I think you know, as somebody who, of course, is an advocate of a Christ-centered um, hermeneutic, I would say there are times that we can safely and clearly and boldly even point to types in Scripture. Then there are many times we have to say, well, this appears to be one, but we're going to treat it a little bit gent- more gently. Um, and then there are times, as you're saying, Aaron, that that we we have got to resist what I I call it this way: finding Jesus under every rock. Yes, you know, it's like every single passage. You're like, all right, what is this part? You know, Noah and the ark. Well, what? How does Noah? How is he a type of Jesus? How's the ark? How's the door? How is each animal? You know, and 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 that is dangerous. It, it's wrong, of course, but it's also mm-hmm. dangerous because it forces us into allegory. Mm-hmm. And we know allegory is another wrong way to interpret and apply scripture. Now, there are there's at least one case that I know of. Uh, Paul, I believe it's in Galatians, uses uh, allegory and says it as much. But that is not the standard way that we approach scripture. And allegory, of course, is where we find deeper images behind everything. And the, the, here, and here's an important distinction, I think, Aaron. Mm-hmm. A lot of people would look at a Christ-centered hermeneutic and say, but aren't you doing that? Aren't you trying to allegorize? Aren't you trying to find deeper meaning? And maybe it's not under every rock, but even in general, aren't, aren't you doing that? And here's the distinction. Allegory gets to the point of saying the basic story doesn't matter. Mm. It's only what's underneath. The, the basic story is just a vehicle, a, a, a crass utilitarian vehicle to get you to that deeper truth. And if you're camped out on the basic level, you're not being as spiritual as you can be or should be. That is not Christ-centered exposition. Christ-centered exposition is we value that story. We value what is, to lack of a better term, on that surface. There is much we can learn from it. It's historical and so forth. But at the same time, we want to go a little bit further and say, how's this pointing us to the gospel? How's this pointing us to Jesus? Right. And that actually takes us to really to um, really the point of this, which is what does it mean? And so as, as you said, um, as you said before, um, just now, we, we start in a Christ-centered hermeneutic by honoring the historical context. Yes. We, um, we recognize that when when scripture says that david um that david um 
defeated a giant, that David was a real guy who defeated a giant. Um, we recognize that that um, uh, Moses was a real guy who talked to a burning bush um, where God's presence was um, and received instructions for him from him to go and and set his his people free. We don't we don't ignore those things and we don't de- and we don't ignore um, some of the even the historic the challenges to their um, to their historicity from um, outside the church. We address those things too. Yes. But what we do is we put the we put the historical context in its larger context of the story of redemption, the story that God has been telling throughout all of human history. Yep, without a doubt. That and that's the key distinction, Aaron, that that we just want to make that that final step, if you want to call it that, and not stop short of that. Um and and we see this. I mean, this is this is how Jesus modeled interpreting scripture to us. You know, one of our favorite passages, of course, is is Luke twenty four, the Emmaus disciples account. And in that, in verse twenty seven, we read that Jesus explained scripture to them, showing them how scripture pointed to him. And of course, the scripture he had was the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was not the Gospels. This was the Old Testament. And so we see from that that Jesus' interpretive method, his key. To interpreting scripture was an approach looking for him in scripture. Now, that is not to say he went, as you're saying, he did not go and allegorize. He did not go and belittle and undermine and demean what happened there. He was getting it to its rightful conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this also in John 5, where Jesus is in one of his, his debates, discussions with some of the Jewish leaders. Yeah. And he tells them, look, you don't believe me uh, because you didn't even believe in Moses. How are you going to believe in me if you didn't believe in Moses? And he says, because Moses wrote about me. So again, and it's not just those two passages. We have others to bring to bear in this, but we would say a Christ-centered her- hermeneutic is honoring the scripture. We we start in the context, as we know, I'm a huge advocate, as you are, of treating texts within their proper context but we would just say one of those contexts have got to be a gospel context. Absolutely. Um, to, to kind of bring that, that whatever we're studying, that passage to its rightful conclusion and understanding. Absolutely. Because you're truly, we're never done teaching, understanding, and applying any text of scripture yes. until we get to Jesus. Yeah. And this is hopefully those uh, who use the gospel project, and I'm speaking mostly of the adult and student material in, in this, what I'm about to say, but um, it carries over to kids as well. Uh, but but when I'm working on a session, when I have a writer contributor sends in a session and I edit that session and we hand it over, I hand it over to the other team to do the same work on it. Hopefully you will see, we spend most of our time dealing with the text itself. Um, we're explaining what's going on in that text. We're dealing with these issues. It's not a matter of, all right, here's the text. Now let's just jump right to Jesus in that. The the content itself that we develop here through the Gospel Project really spends the bulk of its time where we should, making sure we understand the story itself, the passage itself. But you will see, hopefully every session, we're going to get that to Jesus there. How does this frame our understanding of who Christ is? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so on top of that, so that was 
a really big and necessary explanation of of, of how we treat context with a with a Christ centered perspective. Um, uh, along with that, something that is important is that when we're teaching, when we're teaching, when we're studying, when we're applying the Old Testament, we're not simply looking for moral lessons, but yeah. we're looking at the larger purpose. When we're look, when we're when we're doing the same with the New Testament, we're looking for connecting principles and precepts that go back to the gospel themselves. Um, so when when we read the explicit and clear commands to go and do something in the New Testament, whether it's give, serve, go and go and make disciples, whatever it is, that the starting point is is the gospel itself. Yeah. It's remembering who we are in Christ before we go and do. Um, and then, uh, and then we have, and this is important for us because I mean, really we're all hardwired for moralism, aren't we, Brian? Yeah, we really are. I mean, I see it with my three kids. Um, I see it with my own wife. Yeah. Um, and I think we're hardwired that way because it's easier. Mm -hmm. Um, and it may sound odd to say, because usually mm -hmm. we think of moralism as, as being oppressive and it really is when you get underneath of it. Yeah. But on the surface, it's desirable because man, if you can just tell me what I'm supposed to do and not do, it's easier for me to get my arms wrapped around, let's say, the biblical tithe. You mentioned giving, and this is a great discussion for another time, but mm -hmm. um, it's easier for me to say, all right, if, if my pastor were to say, you know, Brian, you need to give 10% to the church, I, I can get my arms around that. I can measure it. Um, if I'm giving 10%, I can sleep well at night because I know that I'm giving what I've been commanded to give. That's moralism. That's I'm doing something to feel good about myself and feel that I'm right with God. However, if we talk about a, a gospel-centered approach to understanding giving, and, I'm, and I, I focus and I drill down on my motivation now, now it's much more difficult. Mm -hmm. Am I giving joyfully? Really? Mm -hmm. um, am I giving sacrificially? Really? It's so much harder to quantify and qualify that in my life. So it is gospel-centered living is much more challenging in many ways. Now, when we're doing it, we experience that joy. When we're doing it, we experience the fruit of it. But I think that's why we're hardwired for this. And, and that's why we have to protect both. I'm glad you shared that, Aaron. We got to protect that we don't look at the Old Testament as moralism. That's usually where we go. Mm -hmm. But I think we forget that we can do the same thing with the New Testament in the epistles. Yeah. And we, we lapse into moralism when we read the epistles just as easily as we do when we're reading David and Goliath. And so I think of it as, as thankfully, God put the Gospels, the four Gospels, right you know, in the center, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it, they serve as a magnet. Mm -hmm. that they should be pulling us in to that. And so if we're in the Old Testament, that magnet should be pulling us ahead, thinking, all right, how is this, how is this preparing my, my mind and my heart for who Christ is? And if we're in the epistles, it should be pulling us back. Well, how does this command, how is this imperative that I ought to live, how do I find in the Gospels, in Christ, in his life, how do I find the joy and the, the desire, the why of doing it? And so we should always be pulled back into that magnet, if you will, of, of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Absolutely. Um, so we've talked a lot about the, the, the what's of this. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned was that really this is the way that, this is the way that Christ appeared to, yeah. to interpret the scriptures for himself, that he was, 
that he was looking that when he interpreted everything, he had his eyes on what he was what he was doing in history. Um, and um, that's and as you as you flow into the into the epistles as well, you see that that's that was the approach that Paul picked up yeah. on and that he did as well. And that as the um, as the mysterious author of Hebrews, um, as he um, as as he gave this gave his message, um, which is one of the most beautiful yeah. beautiful examples of. Um, if it was a sermon, it was the most beautiful example of Christ-centered yeah. preaching, really from from Leviticus that I think anyone has ever seen. Um, it is gorgeous, but this was normative for the early church. But it seems to be this thing that we're only that we we've we've seen ebb and flow throughout the history of God's people since. Um, what is it that? What do you think? Why do you think we got away from that? That's a great question, and I think it's an important question as well. Um, maybe not necessarily that we come up with a definitive answer, yeah. but that we understand the heart of the question, which is, this is not new. Yeah, um, This is not the, the latest, greatest church growth strategy out there, which which is, again, why some people may push back to it. We, um, we've experienced so many things that have been new in the church that we have found to be deficient. And so I think there's there's fatigue and weariness, rightfully so, about what is quote unquote new. Mm -hmm. So this is not new. And I think that's the heart of the question. How do we get away from it though? If this is right, if this is fitting, how do we get away? That's a, that's a great question to think about. I, you know, I, I think there, I think there could be a couple of answers. Um, one that we've already hit on that we are so wired and bent toward moralism, um, that we're self-focused, we're self-centered people. Um, and, and it's easier for us to deviate from the proper interpretation of scripture to get to an easier level of, all right, just tell me what I have to do to be right with God. Mm -hmm. Tell me what I have to do to keep him off my back and at least be neutral. Uh, maybe not, you know, he's not going to be the biggest fan of me, but at, at least I'm not in this doghouse. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, is part of this because we live in a Western culture that honors um, picking yourself up by your bootstraps, mm -hmm. um, that we value as a culture, we have valued you making your own way, you taking care of yourself, taking care of your family. And that has seeped over to our faith in Christ, that it, the effort's on me, um, what I need to do, mm -hmm. um, instead of being yielded and, and terribly needy, in a, in a good way, terribly yeah. needy of Christ. And so I wonder, has our culture kind of seeped over, which would be an interesting question, how are other cultures in this world, how have they been treating their hermeneutic approach um, and I think there could be a third. I think, I think there could be this modern mindset. Um, the modern mindset of course is, uh, modernism is, Hey, we take truth for what it is and we don't question truth. We just take it for what it is. My mom, when I was growing up, she had uh, on our refrigerator, a, a magnet, a little caterpillar. I have no idea what is a caterpillar, but it was. And that caterpillar had underneath of it written this phrase, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Mm. Well, there's there's something good about that, of course. Mm -hmm. But when you press into it, it really has this modernistic mindset of, no, who am I to even question? I'm just going to take it at face value and do it. And I think, and I'm going to be very careful with this, I think that is not the best way that we should approach our faith in Christ. I think God wants us to press in mm 
and ask him why. He wants us to hunger to understand his heart better and why he has done what he's done, why he calls on us to do what what he has called on us to do. And so if we stay on the modernistic level of whatever God says I do, I think that keeps us on that level of, all right, I'm just going to do it. But when we press in and try to understand the heart of God and ask those why questions, we see his heart, and that gets us to the gospel that we need. And so I think those could be a a few different reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think, Aaron? Do do any Um, of those sound reasonable, or do you have any other ideas? They seem very reasonable to me. Um, I mean, certainly I... Um, I mean, for me, it really does come back to the fact that we we are wired to make everything about us. Yeah. And inherently, a Christ-centered interpretation of Scripture, um, a Christ-centered hermeneutic, refuses to allow us to do that. And that is that, to me, is, is always what it comes back to. Um, and that's not to demean or or I hope not insult anyone who um, may not, who may not agree with that. But I mean, ultimately if the way that we're, that we're seeking to preach, teach and live in light of scripture, if it is putting us in the position of being the heroes of the heroes of God's story, (laughs) ultimately um, then we're doing it wrong. Yeah. And and Aaron, I think, you know, we would not say that it's mutually exclusive. When you read a passage, then mm-hmm. it's mutually exclusive that you either need to leave that passage thinking about yourself or Christ. Mm-hmm. I would not say it's mutually exclusive. Exactly. However, I think who you're thinking most of is very telling. And if I read a passage and I walk away thinking mostly about myself, I don't think I've read it correctly. I think God wants us to read any passage and walk away in awe of who Christ is and what God has done through us or for us through Christ, I think that's a good barometer to check our hearts and our thinking. Again, that does not mean that I walk away not considering how does this frame me. Mm-hmm. We ought to do that. That's called application. Yeah. But my greater thought ought to be on Christ, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are uh, coming up to the end of our time for this episode. So we have to do one important thing we need to address. And we, we've we kind of hinted at it all the way yeah. through, but let's, let's just button this down as, as yeah. um, concretely as we can. How does, um, how does um, understanding Christ in all of scripture if we know that all scripture really does point to Jesus the way that Jesus says it does, how does that change how we, how we teach? How does it change how we live together? And how does it, um, and, and in terms of both family and as a congregation, and how does it change how we live, uh, live at, on mission? Yeah, let me get that started, and and then I'll, I'll give you a chance to address some of that mm-hmm. as well. But I, I think one of the starting points, and I just alluded it, alluded to it a, a second ago. Um, I think we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. We need to train ourselves, um, condition ourselves, that when we study a passage, whether it be in our own quiet times with, with Christ, or whether it be in preparation to teach or preach or whatever that may be, but whenever we we rub shoulders with the passage, I think there has to be two questions we ask. The first one is, how does this passage help me understand the gospel better? Mm -hmm. And then the second one is, how do I see Jesus more clearly and beautifully in this passage? Mm -hmm. 
I think if we're asking those questions, and that's our rhythm, that we always make sure we get there, I think it protects us to make sure that we have really done that passage justice. And, and those two questions, one may be easier to answer than the other. Um, there may be times where it's much easier to answer how I see the gospel here than how I see Jesus. There may be times where the opposite is true. But I think if you're asking those two questions and pushing into that, I think that what that does is it, it makes sure that we have gone the distance we need to in that passage. And I think that's where we start seeing the ability for God through the Holy Spirit's work to tenderize our hearts and change our hearts and, and guide us toward what you just asked. Well, how then should I live differently in light of this? We can't live differently if we haven't gotten to the gospel in the first part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think in, in terms of uh, thinking about how we, how we, so that's an important part for how we, how we teach, how, and how we set up our, set yes. ourselves up for application. Um, when I'm thinking about how, um, how I want to live in light of a passage. The, the the first question is really comes down to. So I know what I know. I know how this this points me to Jesus. How does it remind me of what Jesus says or who Jesus says I am? So yeah. it encourages me to live in the identity that I am given through the gospel. That I am not. That I am no longer a a wretched sinner who is. De- um, who is completely separate from God and completely hopeless, but that um, I actually am, I am one of his children and that Jesus is my adopted elder brother, um, that, um, that, I ha- that I don't have to worry about whether or not my father is going to be pleased with me or not because he already is. And he can't be more pleased with me now than in a thousand years because the basis of his, of his, um, uh, his approval of me is Christ, not what I do. Um, and so that frees me to actually live joyfully. Yeah. Um, which, um, you know, we, we, we make jokes all the time about, um, about knowing that there, that there's a, there's a certain mindset among, among, among certain crowds that we like to white paper on joy, but we don't actually like to live, live joyfully, but we actually do get to do this and it, and it's really good. Um, and it, it, ultimately it comes down to, to the, to the why behind the what. Yes. So it's, so um, I so when Paul says um, work uh, work as though you work for the Lord, that's actually a Christ-centered approach to approaching how you do your job on a day-to-day basis, um, because um, it's reminding you who who is in authority over you. It is reminding you who is who is your your source of approval. Who is your source of joy? And it is your Lord Jesus Christ. And from where does your self-worth come? Exactly. So if I'm having a bad day at work, which, I mean, let's be honest, it happens. happens. It happens. Um, Do I have to leave, do I have to leave our offices here at Lifeway worried that my direct supervisor um, is displeased with me? Or do I have to worry that that Eric Geiger, our, our senior VP, that he has an issue or a concern about me? I don't think so. Um, I mean, and 
neither of them do, which is also wonderful. Um, they're great people, by the way. <laughs> um, but they, um, but I can, I can leave work each day, even on a bad day, knowing that, um, knowing that I am that yeah. that my that what Christ says about me is enough. Yeah, and and you know the balance there is that does not mean that we can work you know foolishly and not care. We are to care deeply about what we're doing because we're doing this for Christ. We're doing this for His glory, and the way we work and the quality of our work and our attitude and we and how we work reflects or should reflect. Christ to our coworkers and so forth. So it does matter. You know, if Eric is mad at one of us for something we've done because we have failed in some way and dropped the ball, <laughs> we shouldn't just be like, hey, you know, whatever. That should cause us to, you know, all right, let's get this figured out. However, as you're saying, but our self-worth doesn't come from there. I don't leave feeling like a total failure. As, as men, we, we're prone to do this as well. We put Absolutely. so much of our self-worth in what we do, our performance and our praise we get or, or lack of. So we don't have to worry about, well, am I a good person? Uh, you know, am I smart enough or whatever? And when that's questioned because I've done something wrong or whatever, and my self-worth is deflated, um, well, am I getting approval from my supervisors? Am I getting approval from my family? No, the gospel says no. The approval that you crave the most, the approval that matters is God's approval and he has showered it upon you and it's unchanging. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we can take a hard day and still live with joy knowing that truth. Yeah. All right, Brian, that is a great place for us to wrap up this discussion. Um, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Hero of the Story podcast. We, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Reach out to us if you've got questions um, via email at thegospelproject at lifeway.com. Um, hit us up on, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegospelproject or, um, or tweet at us at uh, twitter.com um, slash gospel underscore project. Um, we are happy to answer any questions you have. We'd love to engage with you on, on what you've heard today. And uh, we hope you tune in next time when we start talking about gospel threads in the Old Testament. Thanks for listening to The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project, a family of resources revealing how all Scripture gives testimony to Jesus. Learn more at gospelproject.com.